Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. starting in this passage today, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's interesting that this Gospel has more of the teachings of Jesus than any other Gospel, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, is the teachings of Jesus. And so we'll start in verse 5 and go through verse 16, and I'll read the odd verses and have you read the even verses together. And so let's start in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Provide neither gold nor silver. Nor brass in your purses. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Thank you. You may take a seat. It is always a privilege and an honor to to be able to preach God's word. And I'm thankful that Pastor Armstrong would allow me this opportunity. If you need a handout, we have our ushers that are coming down right now with the handouts. And so you just raise your hand and they'll get that to you. Our pastor is currently in India. And so while he is away, I know many of you have been praying for him. But maybe you weren't aware that he's there. But please be in prayer for him as there is uh, some hostility in that culture towards the Christian faith. Whether it's uh, the Hindu faith or uh, even Islam there. And so just pray for his safety as he's there with Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Abel as well. And uh, as I was looking through my news feed, I tried to you know, keep up with what's going on in the world. I found that there was a man who he had drifted off the coast of Dominica and he had survived in the ocean for about 24 days. He had been working on his boat and uh, trying to fix a few things. And, you know, things just, you know, got uh, ahead of him. And then he got drifted too far. And he tried to call his friends for some help. And he lost signal. And he's drifting out into the ocean. He's there. And he's only got, you know, some ketchup. And he's got some, I think he, uh, he had some garlic powder and some Magi seasoning cubes. And he drank rainwater. And he survived for 24 days. He, he, on the 24th day, he saw this plane flying overhead. 
and he saw this plane there, and so he said, I'm going to try and signal it. So he took, you know, a mirror, and he somehow got the pilot's attention with shining the sun at them, and they sent the Navy to come pick him up, and he survived. But he never would have had to go through that hardship had he not drifted away. We live in a country that was founded on Christian principles with a Judeo-Christian worldview. And now in 2023, we've drifted far away from where we were founded. You see, you might be in a culture in your work that, that's not even tolerating to your faith. Maybe some of you are in an institution where you're learning and the people that are teaching you and the students that you are around, they see your faith as really just a myth and a hoax. Maybe you're in a home and you're living with someone who they're antagonistic and they fight you about your faith. See, the Bible gives us some comfort, though, in these situations. It says in Hebrews that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, he says because of this, because Jesus truly does know and he does care and he has those, he has those feelings... He says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I think, you know, we have these dark times and the disciples, they were told that there were some dark times coming their way as Jesus, he sent them along. Jesus, he, uh, in this particular passage, we're in chapter 10, but we are just now on the heels of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. And he had healed the woman with the blood condition. And we actually saw those visually last Sunday night whenever we watched the Chosen series. And as we're on the heels, now Jesus has called his disciples to him. And he said, I'm going to send you out. And I'm going to send you to the house of Israel. And I'm going to send you there telling them the kingdom of God is at hand. And surely they were going to be afraid because this was a controversial message. But the disciples had something in this message from Jesus. He sent them out of his sheep, but he's the one that sent them. And fear will not control a Christian when they trust the one that is sending them. And the disciples could hang on to this truth. And 2,000 years later, we can hang on to the truth that the good shepherd is the one sending us. And so let's look at the condition of these Christians and the characteristics of being distinctively Christian in a hostile culture. The first aspect I want to look at is the condition. Jesus starts off with this word. He says, behold. And in this culture, uh, they use these words like behold to draw people's attention. Jesus had been speaking and talking and telling the disciples some, of some things that he wanted them to do. And he says, behold. And that's kind of like when, when your mom is saying, hey, listen up. I have some important instructions to tell you. Jesus starts off this verse in verse 16 saying, Behold, an interjection. And he's saying, listen very carefully. And sometimes we get busy in life. Sometimes we have, you know, uh, work. And some of the, those in college have school. And, and some of those with family have children and, and situations with your family. And you have all these things pulling for your attention. And sometimes we just need someone to say, Hey, look here. Jesus is saying here to his disciples, behold, listen to what I'm about to tell you, because it's important. I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I heard a preacher, he was declaring a sermon just talking about how we need to stand today as Christians, because right now, it's easy. We live in a free country. And he said, if you can't stand today for Jesus, then when times get tough and the government starts pushing against you, he said, there's no way you're going to stand. 
You have to be willing to stand today. And fear will not control you when you are trusting the one that is sending you. I read a Gallup study recently that was telling us that in the Christian faith, we're seeing a trend down in these last 20 years of those who are associated with Christianity. We've seen that in 2000, we went from 70% of the population said they went to church. It dropped down to 47% in 2020. That is a decreased decline in the Christian faith of over 76 million people. That's more than the combined population of Arizona, Nevada, of Utah, of California, of Colorado, all combined. And that's in the last 20 years. The state of our faith is not, is not going out. It's going down because people, they're not willing to stand for their faith. And the condition we see in our society, even the unsaved are seeing a correlation between the decline of faith and the increase of problems in our society. A, a study was just released by the National Bureau of Economic Research last month. It said as church attendance has decreased in our society, this is not a Christian organization, They've said as it has decreased, we've seen a rapid increase in the deaths of despair. That would be deaths of suicide, deaths of overdose, deaths of, of alcohol-related issues. And even our culture is noticing the correlation between our faith declining and the issues of despair and suicide increasing. And maybe these declines and these, these changes in our culture, maybe they don't affect you that much because you think it's a grander scheme. But let's bring it to Tucson. In December of 2022, so just a few months ago, there was a young lady who, she went to a school here just a few blocks from Park Place. It was Sky Island uh, High School. This student, she loved Jesus, and she wanted to tell other people about her Savior. So she said that she was going to start a Bible club, and she did. She started a Bible club, but there was opposition. And not, not just from students, but from faculty, administration. And so the students, the way they opposed this Bible club is they decided they were going to start a satanic club. So they did. They launched a satanist club. And the posters that they put up for this, uh, for this Bible club, they were told that they had to come down within two weeks. Because they said, you know, you cannot have this up. It has to be two weeks and it's taken down. And then they said, and not only that, you can't have Christian material on campus. You can't put Bible verses on your, your information inviting other people. You just, you can't do that. And, you know, it's one thing if that was consistent across the board, but the Satanist club was not held to the same standard. They were allowed to leave their posters up. I think we have a picture. This is a picture of the actual paper that was up in the school that is just blocks from here. I mean, we're under five minutes, ten minutes away from Park Place Mall, and it's right there. And so they're held to a different standard, and theirs were, was held up not for two weeks, but over two months. And then you can't really see, but there's the seven tenets of the satanic faith is on there for people to see. And yet the Christian faith is not allowed to share their beliefs, but the satanic faith is. That's in Tucson. I'm telling you, the condition of our culture is not good. Because the condition of our culture is they don't have Jesus. They need the gospel. And Jesus is sending out his disciples at this moment in time to the house of Israel. But I'm encouraged to know that just a few months later, he sends them out to all the world. You see, Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples a very important truth that we need to grasp. That you are helpless apart from Jesus. 
You see, Jesus says here, I send you forth as sheep in verse 16. And we're going to break this verse down word by word and phrase by phrase because there's some incredible truths that will help us today in 2023. See, there's an important emphasis in the original language on the one who is sending us. It says, I send you forth. And who is that I? Who is speaking there? Our Savior, our Good Shepherd, Jesus is the one who is sending us. Uh, the word that he used to say, I send you forth, is apostate. And it's the word we get apostles from. It's meaning to say that I'm going to send you out for a particular purpose. Jesus, he sent his disciples to Israel to declare the kingdom of God is at hand. But a few months later, he said this. He said unto them, go ye not just into the Israel, but into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that opened it up to you and to me. And that's why we're here this morning. And we are sent by Jesus to reach the world. And that's encouraging because he is the answer. We wonder why our world is in disarray. And the reason is that the hard hearts of our culture have not been penetrated by the gospel of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who sent us out. And the followers of Jesus, they're not to be combative. He actually tells us the opposite. The followers are to be like sheep. In Matthew 9, 36, he uses this same comparison. He says that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And the difference between these people that Jesus was moved with the compassion on and us today is we have found our shepherd. We know that our shepherd is the good shepherd in John 10. It says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd and he gives his life for the sheep, and he did. We are sheep. We are not to be combative. Jesus didn't say that we are to be lions and conquerors in this world. He didn't say that we are to be out there fighting. He said we are to be sheep. A sheep is someone who is defenseless. They are completely reliant on someone to take care of them. They need someone's guidance. They need the shepherd. And the shepherd provides protection for the sheep. The shepherd provides shelter for the sheep. I'm thankful the shepherd provides food and purpose. The psalmist of old, he knew this about God. He put it this way in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And Jesus has us in this world as sheep, but he doesn't leave us alone. He is our shepherd to guide us, to protect us, to be there for us, to help us in these situations. And even though you are told to be defenseless in this society, fear will not control you when you trust the one who is sending you, your good shepherd. And we are to be defenseless in the face of danger. And he told us that first because then he goes on to tell us that you are surrounded by danger. He says that you're in the midst of wolves. He doesn't say that danger might come. He says that you're in the midst. You're surrounded. You're, you're around these wolves. And Jesus has already taught his disciples about these wolves. And it's, it's really in Matthew 7, he tells us that we are to beware of false prophets, those that are teaching 
error, that are teaching things that would not align with Christ. He says they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. See, in this society, Jesus, they, they clearly knew that the wolf was there to do nothing that was good. A wolf is coming to destroy and to kill. And we live in a society of people that they have these platforms, you know, we have, we have platforms such as Instagram and, and TikTok and Snapchat and even just the simple internet that are platforms for people to declare whatever they want. And we have people that they are really good like a wolf and cunning and they can, they can put a half-truth out there. And they can say something that sounds right and then they twist it. And like a wolf, they're there and they'll twist it in a way that they'll then devour the people that are following them. And it turns into turmoil. And then they, they shift into humanistic philosophies. And then no longer it's about trusting your saviors, trusting what you can do. And it's not about that. Jesus says we are to rely on our shepherd. Because people, they are twisted from the wolves that, and the false teachings that are prevalent in our society, we're seeing things like suicide being the second leading cause of death between ages 25 and 34. We're seeing anxiety disorders affect children, 31% of children. People need hope. People don't need wolves in their life. They need the good shepherd. And we don't have to fear these things when we understand that we are to trust the one who is sending us. To trust our Savior. To trust the Good Shepherd. And Jesus, he tells you and I that some, they're not going to like this message. And so because of that, we need to exhibit some characteristics. And the characteristics of Christians, he says, be ye therefore. And this word, it's, it's saying, possess these characteristics. It says, incorporate and acquire them into your life. Because Jesus knew that you know, they needed this to survive and to reach the people that he wanted them to. He didn't want them to just go simply out and be sheep and to be, you know, just be all martyrs. He wanted them to declare the message of God. I mean, our, our pastor's in India, and he was explaining to me that when he's in India, he can't wear that jacket that many of us wear that says Tucson Baptist Church right here because they have a Hindu culture, an Islamic culture, and if they see that, they could very well be in grave danger. And some church members were telling them, hey, make sure you don't go out at night in India because they have a real problem with things happening to foreigners. And so be careful, don't go out at night. Jesus is telling us that we need to be wise and we need to exercise wisdom in our daily life. He says, be wise as serpents. In this culture, Matthew is written to a Jewish culture. And Jesus, he's talking to a Jewish audience here. And so he's using the, the communication styles of the day. And they, they were a very um, a picture-based uh, society. And they used metaphors. And they used these, these pictures to illustrate truths. And so Jesus says, be wise as a serpent. And, and I am no fan of snakes. Okay, uh, does anyone else you know, uh, relate with me? You're not a fan of snakes. I am very afraid of snakes. <laughs> and uh, when I read this, you know, be wise as a serpent, I was like, okay, I got it, moving on. But in this society, there's some reasons why Jesus said this. Why, they, why he said, be wise like this animal. And so uh, there's some observations we can make of this animal that really, they correlate to us. And so first would be to shed the old. 
You see, these animals, they were known in the Jewish culture for being able to remain alive because they lived cautiously and they were careful. And so in the way that God designed them was to molt and to lose part of their skin. And the reasons were that they needed to be renewed so that they could do their job. The molting process was important because it removed dangerous parasites from the animal. The molting process was important. They shed skin so that they could grow the way that God intended these animals to grow. And this is such an interesting parallel for us as Christians because we, are, we have been freed from the old man. If we have put on the new man of the spirit of God, if we have been saved. And it, but the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. He says that we should walk in the spirit. We are not bound to sin anymore. We have the power to resist sin because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we, we need to understand that we are not bound to sin. So we don't have to suffer the consequences of sin. Because we don't have to be chained to it. Jesus has freed us. But sometimes we choose to go back to sin. Unfortunately, James 1.15 warns us. He says that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. And as we grow in the Spirit, as we become more like Jesus, as we see the teachings of Jesus and we apply it into our life, it says that we will walk in the Spirit and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We'll grow to be more like Jesus. The second thing that we see is that we should protect our head. If anyone has had the unpleasant uh, job of removing a snake, you'll know that the head is the most important part of that body. Because that head is what could end things. And so we see that in our life as Christians... Our head is not ourselves, and sometimes we give ourselves too much credit and we rely on ourselves, but Jesus is the head of our life. It says here in 1 Corinthians eleven three that I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Paul put it in a different way in a different passage. He said, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things... Jesus might have the preeminence, the first place. Not only is Jesus to be first in the church and first in the family, Jesus is to be first in your life. We talked about this with the teens today about setting priorities, biblical priorities. And it was interesting hearing their feedback on, you know, what should be, you know, things that are prioritized in your life. And number one was easy. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And so number one should be God in our life and keep Jesus as the first priority. The second thing that we see Jesus that gives us a characteristic to apply to our life is to develop a gentle and innocent heart. It says to be harmless as doves. Jesus offset the cunningness and subtlety of a serpent with the harmlessness of a dove. See, the dove was a symbol of purity in this culture and oftentimes was used as a sacrifice to God. The audience that Jesus was speaking to would clearly understand this as they studied and memorized the law of God. But as we are now under grace, we, we have disconnected, I feel like, some of these teachings and we don't know them quite as well. And so in this culture, let's dive in. You'll remember that Mary and Joseph, they went to the temple. And you'll remember that they went there to present Jesus and Simeon and Anna, they were there. 
But as we read in Luke 2, there's just something that many of us just pass over. In Luke 2, uh, starting in verse 22, it says, And when the days of her purification, Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem, Jesus, to present Jesus to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy or set apart to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. A dove was often used as an offering of sacrifice to the Lord. And what Jesus is saying when he says harmless, this word can also be interpreted as pure, innocent, unmixed. And a common practice in the church is to use scripture to understand scripture. And so let's see where this word is used again, this word akarios. In Romans 16, 19, it says, for your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. The idea that Jesus is commuting to his disciples is very clear. They are to be wise in their daily life, but they are to be pure to God, innocent toward God. They are to not, they are to be unmixed with the entanglements of this world. Paul put it this way, if a man purge himself of these, of iniquity, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. The followers of Jesus are to be vessels or instruments that God can use to impact the world with his message. And so as we've broken down these different uh, words in this passage, and as we've seek and sought to understand in the culture and context that our Savior was in, you say, Pastor David, what, what is this you know, idea of being you know, wise like a serpent, harmless like a dove? Like in 2023, how does this apply to me? Like what, what should I you know, do with this? And so I'd like to bring up three simple ways that you can put some fences into your life. You know, we're compared to like sheep. And if any of you all have spent some time around sheep, you know they can wander. And they can go different directions. And oftentimes, a fence is necessary to keep them from danger. To keep them from wandering away from the shepherd. To keep them close where they're supposed to be. And so, I want to just put a couple ways to apply this so that we can stay close to our shepherd. So we can stay close to Jesus. The first way is very simple. Participate in your church. You know, notice I didn't say be a member. Notice I didn't say attend services. I didn't say watch online. I said participate. Be an active participant in your church so that it will keep you close to God. Jesus said that he didn't come to this world to be ministered, but to minister unto them and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was our example in how we are to live our life. And so Jesus ministered to other people, and so we need to minister to those. Uh, in Galatians, it tells us that we are to, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Maybe you're looking up here and you're saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm inhibited in how I can serve others. I have a physical issue. Or I'm just, I'm really too busy, honestly. Or maybe you're looking and you're saying, you know, um, I, I just don't think I can serve in any way. And, and, and I, let me share a story with you. I, was, I had the privilege of going and visiting a dear couple that was newer to our church. 
they, uh, they had just joined not too long ago, and so I hadn't had the opportunity to spend time with them yet. And so we were talking, and uh, they were in the hospital, and just trying to be an encouragement. We read a psalm together and just saw how we should trust God in no matter the circumstances. And the couple, they, they said, hey, so we just want to let you know that we're partners with you in ministry. And I'm thinking, okay, they've been here like, you know, three months, and I'm like, okay, this is awesome. Like, how are you partnering in ministry? Like, you know, are they welcoming people? Is that what they're doing? And they said, no, uh, we actually, we get a list of all the people in the church that are sick. And we get a list of all the people that are homebound. And uh, we write them letters and we pray for them to be an encouragement to them. They said, you know, we, we can't do a whole lot, but this is something we can do to minister to other people. And, you know, we've got so many ministry opportunities for you to participate, to be active, to be engaged in your church. And sometimes what the church has here to offer maybe doesn't fit what you're able to do. And I love the creativity of people to be able to do things, to minister to others, to be a blessing and a help to others in ways that maybe we didn't think of. But my question is, where does God have you to serve right now? Where does he have you? Participating in your church is not just ministering, but we have these things called growth groups. And I think we get a, a misconception sometimes. We need to connect with God in our growth groups. The primary reason we have growth groups is so you can grow closer to God. You know, and as a byproduct, then you grow closer to others. And, and I look at, you know, the different growth groups that we have, whether it's in the FLC or the choir room or even in our, the teenagers upstairs or the rooms over here. You know, there's so many different people in growth groups that have nothing in common apart from their relationship with Jesus. And that's incredible because we don't come to growth groups. We, yeah, we form friendships. That's a byproduct. But the reason we go to growth groups is to grow closer to Jesus. They're, they're developed by age-specific categories. You know, because, you know, I'm a young married father. I don't have grandchildren. And so someone teaching me on how to be a good grandparent, it doesn't apply to me yet. And so they're age-specific to you to help you in these ways. And so if you're going to participate in your church... You need to minister. You need to be in a growth group so you can grow closer to God. And as a result, a byproduct, you'll grow closer to others. But then another fence that will help us to stay close to our Savior, and, and these go broad to then more personal, is seeking a mentoring relationship. You know, we're to mentor one another. We're to be there to help each other. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And we are to have these relationships of accountability, that they keep us close, that whenever we try and go and drift away, they're there to keep us from falling off the edge. They're there to keep us close to Jesus. And these mentoring relationships, they are important in keeping you close to your Savior, towards the Good Shepherd. They're to challenge you. It says that iron sharpens iron, so you're to sharpen your friends towards Jesus. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul put it this way. He says, those things that ye have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Maybe today you need to go and talk to Pastor Noah in the lobby, and you need to say, you know what? I need a mentoring relationship. Can you connect me with someone? Maybe you need to start discipleship one-on-one -on -one and studying the Word of God and understanding what the Bible says. 
Maybe you need to be a mentor. Maybe you need to invest in someone, and, and you've already passed several life stages. You're already out of school, You're, and you, you see that student who's struggling, and you can go and invest into their life. Maybe you, you're already, you have kids that are out of the house, and you see that father who is trying to instruct and to guide his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and you can go alongside and encourage them and help them. Maybe you just need to go up to someone and ask them to be your mentor. Maybe you need to invest into someone else. Allowing a godly mentor into your life is so important because they're there to help keep us accountable and close to our shepherd and challenge us to get closer to him. The last way that I see that we can build a fence to stay close to our shepherd is personally and creating personal priorities. And this one is the most important. It is prioritizing your relationship with God. You know, your relationship with Jesus is so important, and we say that we love God, but our pastor has so clearly taught us that love is so often spelled this way. T-I-M-E. How much time are we spending with Jesus? Maybe you say, you say, you know what, I need to grow closer to Jesus, so I'm going to take God's word, and I'm going to meditate on a verse every single day to see how that applies to my life. Maybe you struggle with being content in your life, and you say, I'm going to take, and I'm going to make a gratitude journal, and I'm going to journal all that God has done in my life so I can stay, so I can be gracious and, and I can be thankful for what God has given to me. Maybe you need to take and you need to memorize these verses that we are saying as a church. And you need to develop a God-orientated conscience because we know we live in a culture that is so godless that we have just degraded in our consciences that if we don't actively take God's word and hide it into our heart, we're going to struggle with sin. It says, I've hid, my, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. I don't know what it is in your relationship with God that you need to do, but all of us need to shore up our fences to keep us close to our Savior. See, it's, it's funny, as, as we get closer to Jesus, the stronger the desire is to get even closer, to stay near to him. When we lose that desire to be near our Savior, it's often because we're too far away. We can't even hear his voice. We don't care about our good shepherd. Lastly, protecting our mind is key to staying close to our shepherd because our pastor has been spending the last few weeks to help give us tools. He's been trying to help us protect the innocence of our mind, to be harmless like a dove, to be unmixed with the entanglements of this world. He's given us so many things to help us. In Philippians 4, he says that we are to think on things that are honest, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely and of a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Our pastor, he's given us some software to help protect us on the internet. Uh, this Bark company, he sent us all an email. And it, it gives us ways to filter and monitor our online activity to keep us 
innocent, unmixed with the entanglements and the sin of the world. Uh, he has mentioned filtering services like ClearPlay or VidAngel to be able to take out those things so that we're not consuming through our eyes and through our ears the filth of this world. To, to not see that as entertainment, but to make it clean. Uh, he's given us this entire month of February. Our pastor has invested these Sunday nights to help you experience Jesus in a different way. He's been showing us visually the story of our Savior. And so that some people, they connect in different ways. And seeing it visually might help them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And he's done something completely different and, and radical to help us grow closer to our Savior. And so our pastor, he loves us. He's our under-shepherd, and he wants us to stay close to the good shepherd. Amen. And he has helped us build personal fences in our life to keep us close to the Savior. Maybe you have a fence that keeps you close, but you need to reinforce it. It's, it's fallen apart through, through the years, and your priorities have gotten so busy, and school has, has dominated your life. And your, your children have been sick and they've just, they've thrown your schedule out of whack. Or maybe you're with your, you've gotten some terrible news from the doctor. And you need to realign. And you need to shore up the fences in your life to stay close to the one who can make a difference. Maybe fear is, is drifting into your heart. And you forgot that you don't have to be afraid in this world because if you trust the one who is sending you, your shepherd will protect you. He will guide you. He will give you all that you need in every step of your life. But maybe you've drifted away from the shepherd and you don't care. I warn you that if you drift away from your savior and your shepherd, years might pass and you might look back and your life might be in disarray. And you'll wonder and say, God, why did I drift from you? Why didn't I put some fences up to keep me close to you? My challenge to you is to simply, as a sheep, stay close to your shepherd. Live each day with wisdom. Put up fences to keep you close to your Savior. And be innocent. Be pure towards God in your daily life. 